morning. We praise you this morning. You are worthy of praise this morning, Lord. We thank you for the blood that was shed, Lord. We thank you that we are redeemed. We thank you that we are the children of God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be his name. Blessed be his name. Oh, blessed be his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Where would we be this morning if he hadn't come? Saved a wretch like me. I was nothing till he came. And this morning I can raise my hands and say our God is God. Oh, hallelujah. Aren't you glad to be a Christian? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Wherever you are this morning, it's good to be in the presence of God. We're happy to be here, happy to see your faces, and happy to have all. We're all together. Some are here, but we're all together. God's not lost one of us. Amen. Happy to be gathered together this way today, and we're just looking and praying. I trust you're praying. I, I don't, I don't want to stay in the church forever, but whatever we need to get to the rapture, whatever it means for us to gather together under the sound of the gospel in the presence of God, I desire that with all my heart. And we're praying for that. I'll tell you, friends, we're seeing... We're seeing many things happen in the world today. And, and you know, I, I just, if I can just share, you know, this last week, uh, believers in Russia, they, they get the message books, they get the tablets, they get different things. This, this week, uh, a court in St. Petersburg ruled that the message is extremist material. And that's going to put pressure on the believers. In China, there's believers who have a King James Bible that are in jail. Friends, we, and, and I just say it, last week, there was an article that came through talking about the cult 
that we're under and the abuses that are under this occult. I'll tell you, there's an antichrist spirit that is in the land today, and it is coming against the bride. But the prophet would say, you know, it's desiring to make us lukewarm, formal, and powerless. But with true revelation in our hearts, the gates of hell will not stand against it. And that's what we believe this morning. We are the Spirit of God. This isn't just about words and rules and regulations. This is about spirits that are in the land today. And I say this, by the grace of God, with the Spirit of Christ, the enemy will not prevail. Oh, we're grateful to be here. Amen. Last weekend I was away and uh, was able to listen into the service. I was blessed by how God used Brother Andrew. It was such a blessing to me as I listened to it. And so it was wonderful. Let's just, before we turn to the word this morning, let's just say, come Holy Spirit, I need thee, I need thee. And then we'll turn to the word. Come Holy Spirit, oh I need thee. Come sweet Spirit. Why don't you invite him as we sing this morning? Holy Spirit, oh, I need thee. Come, sweet Spirit, I pray. Come in thy strength. Father, we just sense your presence is here already. Lord, we're thankful for the gathering this morning. We're thankful, Lord, that the church is not just a building. It's not just a tabernacle. But the church is the redeemed. It's the people of God. It's the called out. It's the separated. It's those that have the Spirit of God in them, Lord. And this morning we've all brought our little lick of fire, that part of God that dwells in us. And Lord, we're assembled together and you said where two or three would be. You would be there in their midst, Lord. Father, we might not see you with our eyes. We might not even feel you. We might feel far away this morning. But Lord, according to your promise and by faith, we're inviting you to take this service, Lord. Father, we're asking that you would raise the standard in our lives. Lord, it's just about going home time. And we're asking that you'll anoint us for service this morning. Anoint the speaker. Anoint the hearer. Lord, minister the word of life to us, Lord. Prepare us for that rapture day. Lord, there's many needs in our lives. I'm asking, Father, that you would come and that you would personally go and 
Lord, let this not just be about a church gathering, but Lord, may the Spirit of God, the living God, come and move right up to every person, whether they be in a pew, whether they be at home, wherever they are, oh Lord. We're asking you this morning, come. We desire, Lord, not just a church-going experience, but we desire an interaction with the Holy Ghost. We desire our lives to be changed, Lord. We want to be more like you, Lord. Father, we're coming to you this morning, committing the word to you, the speaker to you, this service to you. Lord, may you remember us, and wherever your people are, we pray that you'll be near them. Lord, we also remember your nation, Israel. Lord, we recognize and we see so many events coming into place. Lord, help us to play our part. And Lord, let us make much of this time. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Exodus chapter 30. You've been standing. Thank you for being patient. Exodus chapter 30. We're going to pick up the reading this morning from verse 34. So good to see, brothers and sisters, not just in the slideshow, but here. (laughs) God bless you. God bless you. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto thee sweet spices, stacked in onicha and galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection, after the art of the apocathery, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee, it shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, You shall not make it to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereof shall even be cut off from his people. Amen. God bless his word. You may have your seats. I'm going to also go over to Psalms, chapter 141, this morning. This is David as he is praying and beseeching and bringing his requests to God. And there's an approach unto God. And David is, as he comes unto God in verse 1, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men, that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. 
Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. And let them reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head. For yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. And when their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words, for they are sweet. I'm going to read also in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved, in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. God bless his word this morning. As Brother Michael was talking about how he was approaching the song service I said, my, that sounds like how I was preparing for this service. Sometimes you study, you have thoughts, and you're just trying to find that channel what the Lord wants to bring it in. And I didn't feel I came to that till earlier this morning, but I'm going to just endeavor by the grace of God to take this approach. I want to speak on the fragrance of our approach. And uh, really, I've I've got a broader topic, and I'm going to just start with that for a moment But if you'll turn with me to Revelations chapter 5, and I want you to notice this is what Brother Branham would actually call the one of the most divine or sacred moments in the in the scripture. But Revelations chapter 5, and this is the approach unto the throne of God, and uh, and it's very pertinent in our day, but it's I don't want to read it all. I'm going to reference from from verses 1 to 10. But in verse 1 it says, I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside and sealed with seven seals. So the scene was set in John chapter 4 for a throne. And there was a book in the right hand. And the right always symbolized authority. And that book was there, and, and, and a strong angel comes and says, who can open the book, who can loose the seals? And John, who was seeing all this, he saw that nobody in heaven, no one on earth was able to open the book, not even look on it. So John, and now and just catch the context of, of the scene that is there, and, and, and John starts weeping and crying because nobody was able to open this book or read upon this book, neither to look thereon. Now this book held the title deed to redemption. This book held the names of those that were in, in that book. This book held a, a, a mystery, a necessity that had to be broken down to man, and without it, creation was lost. And John wept, and he was weeping, and, and, he, and he didn't have very long to weep because then in verse 5, one of the elders says to him, Weep not. 
And he says, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven, seal, loose the seven seals thereof. And now John, as he's looking, and he's identified as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and as he's looking in the midst of the throne and the four beasts, that's the four powers, and these are all symbols, but in the midst of the elders, there stood a lamb as it had been slain. And, and if I can just make this identification this morning, it's, it's interesting that the symbol was a lamb because a lamb has a nature associated with it. A lamb, a lamb has a characteristic associated with it. And a lamb has certain attributes that, that are used and, 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 and very integral in the kingdom of God. Because a lamb has a nature that, that God identified on earth with that of a heavenly bird, which was called a dove. And he says those two natures were synonymous one with the other. The dove had a gentle nature. It had a gall. And then the lamb had that same kind of a nature, that same kind of an expression. And it was that kind of expression that was needed to be able to take this book, that was able to, to come and approach the throne. Now, it wasn't just that, but I'm, I'm going to dwell on one part of this for today. And, and Brother Branham would actually take this comment and he would just begin to speak a little bit about it. And, and we know this was Christ. Let me finish in, in the book here a little bit. And he, and he says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits that were sent forth into all the earth. So it wasn't just the lamb but identified at that time was the spirit that God sent forth from that lamb, that was sent forth through seven messengers, that was sent forth, and it was identified at this. And, and then in verse 7, and Brother Branham would, would say this was the most sublime moment in all the scriptures, and it says this, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. So now you just think about the scene, the setting, and I don't know if I could paint enough of a picture, but he came and he took the book. Now I'm, I'm, I'm really, uh, I've got more that I want to just link together for a moment to read before I get into the thought here. But associated with this taking at that moment was not only the lamb and the characteristic of the lamb. And I, let, me, let me take this for a moment because this is in the message identification and Brother Brandon would talk about it. No other nature could do this. No. He was the molded perfect character of God. He, for it was a fallen character that all nature had. All men had fallen character. Everything's got a dying character. And he had a living character, expressed it in Christ, raised on the third day because of his obedience. That gives us an assurance that as long as we're in him, we're already risen. We, we, we won't raise with Christ, we're already raised with Christ. Oh, thank God this morning. I got another spirit. There used to be an old hammermeister that had a nature that ran to the world, that had a nature that ran after the things of the world, that, that went that way. And I'm not saying that that old guy doesn't rise up sometimes, but thank God there's been a new birth. 
there's been a new something. Something has taken place that wasn't of me. That came as a result of Jesus Christ. And this morning, that lives in me. And I yield myself to that, that one. So Brother Bannon would say, now he's, he's really identifying the characteristic of Christ. He said, no other nature could do it. God identified himself in a man, uh, took the form of sin, not sin, but the form of sin, that in order he might take the sin of the sinner, pay the penalty, and give back the sinner the life he had before the fall. Oh, what love that God has given us. I, I don't know about you, but I, you, you know, sometimes I, I go for a walk and, and I think of this great creator, the love that he had for his creation even after it fell. The attributes that he had left, his plan, his purpose will never be defeated. Now, I'm, I'm really going to try to take this into the character. Now, in verse 8, Brother Mark, if you just go back to that. Now, when he had taken the book. Now, I, I really identified on the nature of the lamb just for a moment. But now, when he had taken the book, the four beasts... And the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps. So there was something associated. Let me just say it. There was an atmosphere that was associated with this. This wasn't just dry. This isn't just a book or like a newspaper. Let me just say this. The, the book, the person, it's a person. It's a life. It's Christ. That's the, that's the one. And, and, I, and I, need to, I just need to bring that today if I can. But he said, associated with that, there was harps. And there was golden vials full of odors, fragrances. There, there, was, there was something associated with this pouring out that went out. It was, it was a sweet savor that went forth. And it says, these were the prayers of the saints. And associated with the atmosphere of the harps and, and the prayers of the saints, they began to sing a new song. There began to be an inspiration that came forward at that point. And it said, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals for us. For you were slain. You have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Now, I know we know all these scriptures. They're very familiar to us, but I'm really trying to draw this into one aspect. Just think on the nature of the Lamb, the atmosphere, and everything that was associated with it. Let's go to Revelations 10. Now, this now is also regarding the book. And again, I'm going to refer to a good part of it. I'm not going to read all of it. But in verses 1 and 2, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. A rainbow was upon his head. His face was as it were the sun, his feet as pillars of fire. How many knows who that was? Jesus Christ, the, the covenant angel. He says, And he had in his hand, now again, he had in his hand a little book, but this time it was open. In other words, this time it was approachable. In other this time, you, you weren't blocked from it. This was an invitation. 
This was for those who were a part of it that could see on the book, that could look on the book. These were going to be those. This was God descending. He wasn't hiding himself anymore. In Genesis chapter 3, when man was dispelled from the Garden of Eden, God set cherubims at the east of the garden. And he put those cherubims there, and he put them there to block the way of the tree of life. Man had a right to every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And eventually they would have come to the tree of life. They would have, would have come to that which was a person, which was Christ. But it hadn't come until Satan had interrupted it. And, and, and Eve partook and Adam partook. And, and so now the access to this, this holy one, this pure one, this eternal life, it was blocked. It was hidden. But now at the end of time, God was opening this way again. He was inviting. It actually started uh, when, when he died on Calvary and the temple veil was rent in two. And the cherubims which had been blocking that way began to open that way and usher us towards that. Now let's just finish this here. He says, and he had in his hand a little book open. He sat on his right foot upon the sea, his left foot on the earth. Now we, we can see it's an open book. Now, in verses 3 and 4, and he cried with a loud voice, and seven thunders uttered. Now, when John is writing this, when they uttered their voices in symbol form, he said, I was about to write, and the angel said, write it not. He says, seal up those things and write them not. So he, 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 it was, it was, he, he saw something, but it wasn't the time yet, if I can say it that way. And then in verses 5 to 6, he would begin to talk about the angel then lifted up his, his, which I saw stand on the sea and the earth, lifted his hand to heaven, swear by him that lived forever, and he says that time should be no longer. This, this is the whole critical moment, and Brother Harold would said this many years, and I, I, it always stuck with me, and it became a real part of it, but he says, verse 7, but in the days of the voice. So notwithstanding all of these other things, notwithstanding that it was sealed, but in the days of the voice. Now, this was a statement that he made. He said, no story ever starts with but. <laughs> Something happened before. You know, you, no matter what kind of novel you read, you don't start a novel with a conjunction. Or, you know, and. And this and this happened. Well, what happened before? But, this, well, what happened before? There's more to the story, okay? Paul Harvey was a master of telling us the rest of the story. The Bible also tells us the rest of the story. But in the days of the, seventh, of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery should be finished, as he has declared to his servants. Now, I'm, I'm bringing all this down to verse 8. And he says, And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, says, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel which stands on the sea. And, and in verse 9 he says, And I went to the angel and I said, Give me the little book. Now, I want you to notice Genesis, or sorry, Revelations 5, there was a taking of the book by the Lamb, but now there's a taking of the book by a people. Now it's also going to require a certain nature. It's going to require a certain something to take that book out of that 
the hand of that mighty angel. It's not open for everyone. It's not just an intellectual book that you take off the shelf, but it's higher than that. It's greater than that. It's going to take an attribute like was in the Lamb at the first taking of the book, so there would have to be an attribute in us for the second taking of the book. Go and take the little book. So really, there's two takings of the book. Okay? And he says, and I went to the angel to give me the little book. Now, I just look at the effect of it. Take this book and eat it up. So it's not just a natural book. Okay? Eat it up. In other words, let it become a part of the fabric of your life. Let it, let it come not just into outward do's and don'ts. Attending this, do that, do this. The flesh realm, three, three parts we are. But let it be a part of your inner man. Wherever you've been scarred in your life, wherever you've been hurt or you've been bruised, begin to eat this book where you've had a certain mindset about certain things, where you've had memory and where you've had twisted up, uh, you know, that's part of the fallen nature. But taking that fallen nature, taking all of the, the, the things of our life that even God allowed, if I can say it that way, even God, certain things he gave it, but that the devil perverted. You know, he made, Brother Adam would say, he made some men blustery. Think of what blustery means. He made some bold. He made some meek. He made some, God made us all the way we are. But the devil would take that and pervert it. And I'm not just talking about men, but sisters. He would take that and pervert that. But God wants to take control and use that in the way that he desires. So he says, eat this book. It shall make thy belly bitter. In thy mouth it'll be sweet as honey. So now... I took the little book, I ate it. It was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as he eaten it, my belly was bitter. So when you begin to take, if I can say, the message, as we call it, the book, and you begin to eat it, it doesn't, it doesn't harmonize with an old nature. But it's going to slowly overcome the old nature, but we have to be receptors to allow it to happen. I'll tell you what, it's wonderful Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. How wonderful it is to know I'm redeemed. But I also know, prepare me for the rapture day. In order to be prepared for the rapture day, I can't just go in the way I was when I was redeemed. There's going to be a process. There's going to be a working. There's going to be something that happens. Now, in the same message identification, Brother Bannon would talk about Jesus. He said, we are invited to shape our own character by his, by his grace. We are ready to lay our character down and the molding that we had, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, false accusers, incontinent, despisers of those that are right, having a form of godliness. I remember when I was baptized, what a feeling. What a rejoicing. It was wonderful. 
And I, and I lived on that high for a few days, and it wasn't very long before the enemy came and reminded me of what I used to do, and that those things were there and nothing had changed. And I go, and, I, and I'll tell you what, then I realized I was in a battle. Then I realized that I, you know, and I saw myself, the habits, the motions of sin, still working, still doing it, but there was something else tugging in. No, something's changed. Something I can't put my finger on. Something has happened inside. I am not going to yield to that. I am not going to give it. And I'll tell you what, the battle's raged for 37 years since then. <laughs> so if anybody is just newborn, babe in Christ, don't worry, this battle will last till the millennium. <laughs> but we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. <laughs> so Brother Adam would say, we've got to take the entire full gospel. We have to be identified ourselves as full gospel people. Let's mold our character. If I'm going to just make a couple comments. I may not just finish them in this service, but it is like Jesus. He also was as we are. As Christ was, so are we in this world. He was flesh man. He was spirit man. He, was, he had a soul. He came and he was tempted in all points as we are. He understood what it was to feel pain in his body. He understood what it was to have hunger. He wanted to identify with us so that he could intercede and be a faithful high priest. He also suffered rejection. He also was bruised in his spirit. He suffered humiliation. He suffered things in his, in his spirit realm that caused him grief. And he could have retaliated. Listen, he was not immune. We, we sometimes view him as, you know, he came and he did all these things because he was God. He became as we are. He suffered these things. He understood these things. And his own character had to be molded. He had to learn obedience by the things he suffered. His first nature would have been, I, I don't need to go through this. But he loved us. How did he love us? Not just because you were a good-looking guy or a good-looking gal, but he saw, as Brother Andrew so aptly described last Sunday, he saw the seed germ, the attribute of himself in you, and he knew he wanted to bring that to life. Friends, that's what he's looking at today. He's looking not at me or you, but he's looking at that part of himself. And he himself was molded. He himself was shaped. And, and it wasn't just that he lived in a realm of super anointing all the time. But he knew it took obedience. When he finally came on the road to Gethsemane, the prophet said the spirit left him. And when the spirit left him, what carried him at that moment? It was his character. What carried him to finish the work? It was his character. I'll tell you what God is doing in us right now is, is, a, is the greatest treasure a human being could have. 
The church will go through the tribulation for purification. But this is our purification. I'm willing to lay down, uh, uh, to say, Lord, you called me to be a part of the bride. I want to serve you. I want to love you. I want to lay down my character. I want to lay down my ideas that you can have the preeminence, that you can have first place. So, eating this book, and Brother Branham would say, now we've got to take the entire full gospel Let's mold our character. Let our character be molded like his. Then we can become sons, and I'll say daughters, by having the mind of Christ, which is your character. Now, I, I love how Brother Andrew so aptly took the pictures last week, and oh, that's wonderful. I just thank God that God's got a mind. And he doesn't work through one, he works through his many-membered body. And it was wonderful, it was a blessing to me. And he said, your mind makes your character. So your mind is actually your spirit realm. It's not your brain. Your mind makes your character. I want you just to think for a moment. And sometimes we, in the age of quick fix, we try to bypass the process, the approach, just to get to the end result. We, we, we don't, we don't want to take that road sometimes the road of suffering. I, I want you to look at what, what, just for a moment, what God did through Brother Branham. What he did through Brother Branham was a molding and was a shaping. And it, and it took him, it, he went through many things before he could ever fulfill what happened in 1933 at the river where a voice came down and says, your message will forerun the coming of the Lord. And now it wasn't Brother Branham would for the message would forerun the coming of the Lord. The life of the message that was in the prophet, that life still lives today. That life lives in born again sons and daughters, in ministers. That life lives in, in deacons and trustees. It lives in all of us, in housewives, in young men. That life is still going on. Now, he, he, he says, your message will. And Brother Branham went through many struggles. He he was a man. He was a human. He had the passions of Elijah. He, he, went, he went to some meetings, and God showed him, you know, as a Baptist, he showed him a, a great move at Mishawaka, and he, he had invitations, and God blessed it, and he listened to his family and suffered greatly. Suffered the loss of his wife and his daughter because he listened to his family. He went a step further and he went with ministers, those that were trusted and respected. And, and by vision, God had told him, go to South Africa, then to India. But he went, or no, go to India first, then South Africa. But the ministers convinced him to go to South Africa first. And he suffered greatly. But it, you know what it did? It molded something in him. In 1964, in Shalom, Brother Brandon would talk and he'd say, why did God take my wife from me? Why did God take my daughter from me? He says, now many years later, now I know why. I'll say, friends, never despise the sufferings. Never despise the hand of God in our lives. It's doing something. Brother Branham, he went through many things. He, went, he, went, he, had, to, he had to endure many, many different things, but it was a molding and a shaping. 
even down to 1962 where he had the vision of a brown bear being killed and he was going to go a certain way. They went on a hunt up north to British Columbia. There was a bunch of, there was Bud Southwick and Brother Branham and a bunch of young men. And, and, and I was just with Brother Jim Dooley last week. He said, Bud Southwick was a character. He was a joker. You think I, t- I, I pulled some pranks on people? Man, I could tell you some of the stories that he did. That was on another level. I may have got some new inspiration, but I won't, I won't enact it just now. <laughs> anyway, he said, so the night before they're out in the hunt, there was this banter going back and forth with Bud and the young men. They say, ah, you couldn't hit this. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do all of this. And they're going back and forth, and they're doing all these. The next day, because Brother Branham felt sorry for Bud Southwick, he went with him instead of going with the young men according to the vision. And from then on, if you've listened to the testimony, Brother Biscoll, it rained for four days straight, and they're packing, and they're going out of there. And at the end, when they're going out of there, Brother Branham goes, how long before we got to leave? He says, about another three hours. He says, I just got to go up the mountain. And he came back down, and he said, all of this was because of me. And he says, but we're going to go out dry. He comes back, and you listen to the messages, countdown he says, Lord, and he's, he's still praying and repenting. Lord, I went with that old man. I, I didn't want him hurt, but I didn't realize I was hurting you. You hear the brokenness within him. What was God doing? He was forming a character. Why? The seals were about to be broken. It could not have the, ma- the mind of William Branham. It could not have that old nature. It had to be the perfect nature of Christ in order for the word to come forth. Friends, in order for the word to rightly be what it is in our minds, it can't be our character. It can't be our nature. It has to be Christ in us. Brother Branham would often, actually... Not often. He would say this. This is in God's only provided place of worship. I believe the church is beginning to hear the message. Beginning to understand it. But friends, we've got to lay in the presence of the Son. We've got to be ripened. Now I'm I'm really going into the thought for this morning. Intellectually, we're hearing the message that God has given. We're seeing the signs. But, oh, church, we need to lay in the presence till it tenders up, until we get so sweet in the Spirit that it can bathe down. Sometimes in speaking the message, you get harsh. You have to break in because you got to clinch a nail to take a hold. But once the church gets it, it's elected, it's called, it's separated, then in the presence of God, I know there'll be something like the people that was there when it takes a rapture. Now, I, I'll just think about this for a moment. I think it was in 64, 65, a bunch of brothers came to Brother Branham and they said, there's some, some oil in Kentucky. He says... Brother Branham, he says, I, I know you could tell us, and, and we would know where it is. And there are a bunch of religious men. And, and Brother Branham, now, now look, at, look at the character of the man. He says, 
Oh, I know where it is. I seen it the other day. It's a great big thing. And they said, oh, Brother Branham, you'll tell us, right? He says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't use the gift of God for things like that. No, no. And then he says, and they went out there anyway, and when somebody else got it, he says, and I could tell their motives was wrong because of their reactions. He says, so you don't do it for those things. Think about it. Think about the character of a man who in 1956, he had the greatest healing revival. And he made a promise to God. He said, Lord, if the meetings ever stop bringing in money, then I'm coming off the field. And here at the height of it, for the first time he didn't bring in money in a meeting. He says, I'm going off the field. And, and, and those around, what are you doing? It'll, it'll pick up. It'll know. He says, I'm staying true to God. I'll tell you what, this messenger did not compromise. I'll say, God, give us something that will not compromise. We're Christians. We don't follow the world. We follow God, the Spirit of God in us. Now, I really need to get to, I haven't got off page one of my notes, but that's okay. I think we've spent a lot of time when we think about Revelations 5 and Revelations 10, we've taken a lot of time on the mechanics of the word. And we view sometimes, and I'll say we, I include myself. We view this as a higher level, and often we take it in intellectual terms. Often we take it and say, these are the mysteries and, 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 and this, and, and we've, we've pursued that, I think, more then, 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 then taking the nature we need to be able to receive that. Now, I, I, I was really reflecting on this for a moment. Brother Branham would talk about the book. And, and I'll come back to this, but he called it the title deed. He said the names, it was, there's a book of life and there's the Lamb's book of life. In Invisible Union, he actually says, it's the book of life of your nature of your first deeds. But the Lamb's book is like another portion of that book. It's those that were redeemed. And we're coming down to the end where it says, all will worship the image of the beast whose names were not written on the Lamb's book of life. So I thought to myself, okay, where is this book? How can this book benefit me? And I thought, Adam, he had the title deed in Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, because when, when he was uh, theophany, it was man and woman together. He, he was all the crowning of God, the creating, the final part of God. He had the mind of God. He had the understanding. He was not deceived. He had the full attributes of God. And in Genesis chapter 2, when he's formed out of the dust of the earth, so that was his theophany being, but now he's made flesh, he's made spirit, he's got a soul, and these were given to him to contact the earth. His soul, in, in, or his theophany being in Genesis chapter 1, could not contact the earth. His spirit could contact the earth, could contact or perceive. His flesh contacted the earth. So his, God gave him that, as an outflow or an expression of what was inside. So Adam, when he's asked in Genesis 2, name the animals, 
Adam was catching something. He was discerning the nature of the animals. He was the nature of God, and the nature was discerning the nature of this animal or that animal, and he said, that's a fox. I, I just look at the way it is. You know, this one's a lion. It's kind of creeping. It's doing this. He, he could discern those things. That discernment wasn't just, if I can say it, there was a part of that that was being reflected through the spirit realm. Our discernment, if our senses are, are heightened and they're tuned, our discernment comes the same way. It isn't just our soul that knows all things, but we have our senses sharpened. We have them heightened. We have them, we detect things. Listen, even in your flesh, you discern certain things. We're talking about the fragrance. So when you drive down the road and you, hear a, you see a certain fragrance, or you see, <laughs> you, you, you smell a certain fragrance. Oh, I know what that is. That's Kentucky Fried Chicken. I know whenever I go down this road, it's kind of a detriment to the service because people start checking out and going to lunch already. <laughs> Other times you go down, oh, that's garlic. That, that's, oh, somebody's got a barbecue going. I'll tell you what, there's certain smells, and it, and it takes a desire from you. That's the lust of the flesh. <laughs> it, it, you don't have to do anything to get that to happen. That's just associated with your flesh. But there's also a lust of the eye. Because we're, now we're in a fallen nature. You know, it, it, Brother Ram said a, re, a red-blooded male can't have a woman walk by without a reaction. Because that's a part of the fallen nature. But if you're redeemed and you're born again, it's not the first look, but it's the second look. It's something inside that turns you away. It's something I don't desire that. I've got a greater desire, a heavenly desire. You're starting to get back into the realm that Adam was from the very beginning. Now, let's, let's just take this for a moment. So Adam, if I can say it, he had, he had the knowledge. And Adam, as, let me say this, he had a perfect image of God. He, had, he was the fullness of God. He had the character of God. And I can say the character because in Genesis chapter 2, when, when, when Adam goes and then Eve comes and, and you go down to Genesis 3, in Genesis 3, when Eve fell, Adam had a choice to make. He was not deceived. Eve was deceived. He could have said, you know what? You made a mistake, lady. I'm going on. I'm not giving up eternal life. But his character, his love for the attribute that was actually a part of him, his character led him to quickly take her to his side. That's what drove him. He was still in the image of God. Now after he partakes, he is fallen. And when he is fallen, what has happened? Now God comes, he runs and hides. Before he didn't run and hide. When he was in the image of God... He didn't run and hide. When he fell to the image of a fallen man, he ran and hid. And watch his reaction. Before he would run out, love would dash out and protect Eve. Afterwards, in the fallen nature, he starts to blame God. The woman you gave me. Look at how quickly it changed. And then he blames the woman she gave me. Look at, here is a Man in the perfect stature, the image of God, here's a fallen image just like that. But I'll say this, God's working back. 
He's bringing us back to where Adam was. I'll say this, when you start to see yourself not according to your old nature. Brother Ram spoke a message on the stature of a perfect man, and he talks about the attributes. He said, now all of us have a portion of these, and they're there naturally, but God has another portion, a part to add to us. Now, I'm spending a lot of time just getting to where I want to get to here this morning. Where did the title deed go? It went back to the hands of God. It didn't go to the enemy. It went back in the hands of God. So the book or whatever, it was inherent in the man, if I can say that. I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to belabor that more this morning. Let's, let's go for a moment, and I'm going to go back to the book of Exodus now. And, and I, I believe the entire Bible is the inspired Word of God. I believe the Old Testament is not complete without the New Testament. The Old Testament isn't for the Jews and the New Testament for the Gentiles. It's the whole Word of God. It's completely inspired. The eternal God looked down in Genesis and He deposited secrets. He started making a masterpiece in the Old Testament. Everything He did was by purpose and design. So it's not two halves, it's one whole. So there's principles and types and shadows here that are important. So let's go to Exodus 24 if we can. Brother Mark, I didn't give you some of these, but I'll just, I, I was just belaboring how I would take these. But in Exodus chapter 24, if I can just pick this up for a moment, and I'm, I'm going to, I just want you to capture the setting to what's happened here because they came out, Exodus 19, they came to the mount. God took them out of Egypt. They came to, to the mount, and as they came to the mount, they, they were scared. Let Moses speak. God gives them the Ten Commandments. He speaks it to them, and then he gives them some laws and judgments in verses 21, 22, 23. Then verse 24, he begins to talk to them, and, and he come to the end of verse 24, and he tells Moses to come up into the mount with him. I'll give you tables of stone. This is in verse 12 in, in Exodus 24. And Moses went up into the mount of God, verse 13. And then he said, tarry here. And now he went into the mount. So the next, from, from verses 25, you can carry right to verse 30, 30. This is now God speaking to Moses in the mountain. And he's showing Moses a vision. He's showing them the heavenly order that he may bring it back to an earthly order. So he's establishing a principle that is key for us to understand even in the time we live in. So he tells them in verse 25, in, or chapter 25, and he tells them that how the children of Israel are all going to give an offering from their heart. And this is in verse 2. And he, goes, and he gives them all of these different materials. And then in verse 8 he says, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with them. Verse 9, According to all that I will show thee after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. Now, I, I'm not going to read through all of this, but he begins to describe now the elements. He starts with the ark. He goes to the furniture. He's, he's going to the, the table of showbread. He goes to the golden candlesticks. 
to verse chapter 26, the curtains of linen, the curtains of goat's hair, the covering of ram skins, the boards and the sockets, the outside bars, the bar in the middle of it, the inner veil, the outer veil. He's telling them all about all of the fabric and the material and the order of the construction. He goes to, to chapter 27. He begins to tell them about the brazen altar, how that's made. And the, the outer court, he begins to tell him about the hanging for the gates of the court. And then he goes to, in, in verse chapter 27, to the oil for the light and how there had to be a certain oil. Goes down to chapter 28 and he starts talking about the priesthood. Now, uh, if, if I can just, just go to this for a moment, because I, I want to I pick some of this up as, as we move it towards this. So in, in Exodus 28, he tells how the garments of the priest had to be. Now, all of this is God making a way back from what man fell from. And it's not a natural tabernacle because God's true tabernacle is dwelling within man. But he's giving us an order. And in the order, now he says, here's the materials for the high priest, here's the ephod, here's the breastplate, here's the Urim Thummim. So I just want to pick it up there. So we're in Exodus Chapter 28, verse 29. Let's just do it from here. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord eternally. Now, Aaron is a type of the Levitical priesthood. He's a type of what Christ would fulfill, but there's going to be a higher order. But nonetheless, this was a part of God building an image. Uh, you know, we need to never esteem what God has taught us along, or despise what God has taught us along the way. There are lessons we've learned that are prepared us for this hour. And there's lessons, Brother Branham, that he took and he learned. You know, I, I, I marveled so much. I just was listening to this, the testimony of Brother Biscoe talking about Brother Branham and, and the soldier boy. And Brother Branham, and he, he said about the soldier boy that was in, in the prayer line or, or called out in the meeting, and then how they saw him in the restaurant. And Brother Branham says, now, do you know that boy? He says, no, no, I don't know him. I, I, I don't know where he came from. Now, if you know him, I wouldn't tell you this. Look at the discipline. Look at the higher we go in the revelation the more character that we need. We, we need to esteem all of the building blocks that God has taken us through. He's preparing us for an hour. Friends, the bride has thus saith the Lord, or she is still. I, I, I am seeing it more even in prayer life and in the words I speak, and I'm saying I'm much more conscious, not of what I just say, but with what motive, with what intent, how I approach God. Because we need to continually... Now listen, this is not going to be a message that you might roar and jump and shout and up and down. But as Brother Branham's message was not just for the church, but it was for the bride. And the bride has made herself ready. She's adorning herself. I don't want to go through a tribulation for purification. I want to be purified now. I want to be sanctified now. I want to be prepared now. So this is part of that. Are, are you with me today, this morning? Is it good to be in church? Hallelujah. 
<laughs> I, I'm just so rejoicing. Everyone's like, well, I get distracted. Oh, there's Brother Mike. Oh, there's Brother Dan. There's Brother Harold. There's, there, there's Joel with his orange car. There's, there's all of these other people, you know. And sorry about that, but <laughs> it's just wonderful to be in church, isn't it? You know what? I, I, God is good. God is good. So let's just, just stick with me for a bit here yet. So he says now, take this breastplate where is it? Over his heart. And he says, when he goes into the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually, and you shall put the breastplate of judgment, the Urim and Thummim, upon Aaron's heart. When he goes in before the Lord, Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. Oh, I think this is wonderful. So Aaron is a type of a priest. Do you remember Revelations in 5? When the Lamb took the book, they sang a new song. You have made us kings and priests. Why? You've taken the book. You're, you're not, as the Jews are, looking for vengeance. You're looking to be a priest. You're looking, the Spirit of Christ is upon us. And he says this now, and I, I, need, I need to go a little further down. Verse 33. And beneath, I, I better read this all here. Uh, verse 31, And thou shalt make the robe of ephod all of blue. There shall be a hole in the top of it, in the midst of it. It shall have a binding of woven work round about a hole on it, as it were the hole of a habergeon, and it shall not be rent. And beneath the hem of it shall you make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof, and dwell and bells of gold between them round about. A golden bell and a pomegranate. A golden bell and a pomegranate. Upon the hem and the robe round about. So this robe, it was all of blue. It was one piece. His head would go through. At the bottom it would have these bells and these pomegranates. All of this very specific. This is the order of the word. And then he goes on and he says, Verse 35, and it shall be upon Aaron to minister. These are the garments for him just to fulfill his priestly order. And his sound shall be heard when he goes in the holy place before the Lord. And when he cometh out that he die not. So all of this, the high priest before he could ever go into the holy place, he had to have all of this just right. And his walk had to be a certain way. He had to move in a certain way. There had to be a certain sound that came out. And that sound was part of the atmosphere. It was necessary to fulfill his priestly role. There's a sound that our lives give off. What is it? It's the result of how we pray. It's the result of what we're feeding on. It's the result. It's a hidden part. And he says, verse 36... And you shall make a plate of pure gold engrave onto it like the engravings of a signet holiness to the Lord. Now, the whole part of this whole thing, and Brother Branham picks this up in, in a message, Law or Grace, and he would just, I love the commentary of the message. Now this priest, he had this pomegranate and a bell, he had to walk a certain way. He couldn't just make himself any way. Now, we had a prophet that came and said, when you come into the sanctuary, he says, be quiet, be respectful. The angel of the Lord is here. He would tell us that that angel loved the song, only believe. Now listen, he says, 
There's your approach. You're coming God's provided way. He's referring to the priest. He's saying, every time he made a step, them bells had to play. Bumping against the pomegranates. And what was the sound? Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. This wasn't their own sound. This was all for one cause. This was for the glory of God. That ought to be our desire, our motive, and our objective in everything we do. Whether we minister, whatever role we fulfill, it's not for me. It's for the Lord. It's for Him. He deserves all the glory. It's not a minister that picks up and says, oh, they'll like me for this. That isn't it. Brother Adam would go on to say in one place, he says, he would say, sometimes people get the Holy Ghost for entertainment. And he would say, that's why it's sparingly give out. You don't do it for yourself. It's for God. It's that his life would be projected in you. God hears you when you're coming on the provided approach. The congregation, they knew that if you didn't go dressed rightly, you didn't go through the door, you died. And he never came out. So they actually had a rope on him that if he didn't do it, they could pull him out. And he says, now, the only way the congregation knew the high priest was there by the noise of them balls, there was a noise. That's how they knew he was right or not. Listen, he was offering sacrifice once a year for that congregation. That's how he had to approach. Okay, I need to move ahead a little bit for Leviticus chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. I'm trying to use a little bit of what was in Revelations 5 because we can get the order, we can get the mechanics right, but what I'm trying to bring into it is there's another part associated with all of this. Verse 7, and the priest shall put, this is, this is now when there's an offering for, for sin, a law offering. In verse 6 it talks about the priest had to dip his finger in blood, sprinkle it. And verse 7, and the priest shall put some of the blood upon the horns of the altar of sweet incense before the Lord, which is in the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall pour the blood of the bullock at the bottom of the altar. Now, if I can just bring this order for a moment, and I, I, I could have put slides up, but I'm not going to. But there was an outer court that you would go into. Then there was an inner court, and you would walk into that veil, and in there was the golden candlestick. But as you, just before you walked in to the holy place, that's where there was this altar of incense. There had to be a certain fragrance. There had to be a certain something. It wasn't just following the dates, following the rules, but there had to be a certain walk, there had to be a certain dress. It was obedience. Friends, Moses, when Moses came in the presence of God in a burning bush, he was obedient when he said, take your shoes off. When we come, it's in obedience, and your approach, my approach, often dictates the end result. I'm, I'm really trying to bring it to that. Okay, let's just go over to Leviticus 16 real quick. Leviticus 16, I'll just pick this up in verse 12. And here again, this is Aaron bringing the sin offering, making an atonement, in verse 11, bringing a bullock of the sin offering, making atonement, killing the bullock, but accompanied with this, verse, verse 12, 
And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. So there had to be a, a certain fragrance or aroma attached to even going in. Look at how God is so in every detail. David said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't even hear my prayer. When we come before the Lord in prayer, if we got our mind made up about something, if we've got some kind of a vendetta against someone, God doesn't even hear your prayer. doesn't even hear my prayer. But when we can empty out, and when we can let God go, and Lord, this is not for me, this is for you, Lord. It's all for you. I, you know, I'm, I'm coming to this, I'm just setting all of this up. Now let's go back to Exodus chapter 30. This is where we started, and we'll take the rest of the service on this, and we'll finish up. Exodus chapter 30. Now, if we go back to this, and I want you just to notice this is in verse, we started in verse We start in verse 34. Now, So he says, take these sweet spices. So he says, take this. I may not pronounce these right. I don't know how many sisters use stacked or onicha or galbanum in your daily cooking. There's no hands raised here, but maybe you do. So it says, take these sweet spices. And he says, these sweet spices with pure frankincense. So frankincense, what does that speak of? That's service. So the whole idea is you mix all of these things together for service. So whatever I do, if I serve as a minister, if we serve in a role, if we serve our uh, husbands, you, you serve your family, wives as you serve your husbands, whatever you do, you've got to mix these. And he says, of each there shall be a like weight. In other words, don't make your own concoction. It has to be the exact portion of each three of these together with frankincense. That's what's going to mix it. Don't, 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 don't try and mix the, 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 the things, okay? It's, you might think it tastes a little better with a little more cinnamon. Ah, no, no, it's not going to work. You've got to take it just the way God said. And he says, and then you shall make a perfume. And a confection after the art of apicothery, tempered together, pure and holy. Now, now just think about this. It's had to be this fragrance. I, I, I thought about this the other day. I thought, as God looks down on the world, Brother Branham would actually talk this. He says, what does God see when he looks? He says, it's a stench before God. Now, we don't often attribute the sense of smell to God, but it's a stench to him. He says, you want to know what it's like? Go into a dirty washroom where there's a urinal or something and there's that smell. Said, That's how the world looks to God. And I, we can't even imagine that's a stench. What is that, that, that causes God? Wow, there's a breath of fresh air there. What is that? Oh, it's a bride member. It's somebody who loves me. It's somebody who's praying. It's somebody who, our, our prayers carry an atmosphere. Friends, there's not everything you can put your finger on by, by just the word. You can't find a quote for everything. You can't find a scripture for everything. But the aroma you carry with you versus those you come in contact with, they will tell you whether that's correct or not. There's something associated with this. Just stay with me, he says. And you shall make it, now, verse 36. And you shall 
beat some of it very small, put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation. Now, this is associated right with God meeting with us. Friends, we need to stay in the presence of the Son to get the greenness baked out of us. Brother Branham, would, would he, he would actually go and say, Oh God, lay in the presence of the Son, of God with our hearts, not our hands, but our hearts, until he has seasoned us, until he's baked his goodness into us. When you bake it, like you, you, it becomes a part of your fabric. And he says, so the odor and the perfume of his life you know, Brother Ram would talk about that Amish woman. And him and Sister Mita were talking. He says, did you see that Amish woman? There was something about her. There was nothing. You know, she had a certain fragrance. And, and Brother Ram says, oh, that's somebody who has been in the presence of God. I'll tell you what. I, I would rather, I would rather live in that place than just to be halfway and Listen, I know we got to get the word right. I know you've got to have that. But there's got to be this associated with God took time to put this right before you go into the holy place. This is a part of it. Before we can ever take and the fullness of the revelation, there's got to be a life attached to it. Now listen how he, how he says it. And he says, you'll beat it. What's God doing? He's molding it, beating it through the trials. And he says, you know, there's a place in the church age book, the bride, there's no one on the earth like her. She suffers much. But he says, oh, she'll come forth as pure gold. And he says, now into verse, he says, it shall be to you most holy. Look at, look at now how precise God is. And as for the perfume that you shall make, you shall not make it to yourselves. In other words, this is not for you. This is not, if I can say this, the whole purpose of this is how we come in to worship God. It's all about Him. It's not about me. It's not about what I bring to the table. No, it's, it's God. It's all for Him. It's nothing to do with me. I've got to lay myself down. I've got to say, Lord, you take first place. It's not about me. This is not about my agenda, my position. This is about God's position. Look at what he did with the prophet. You want to take an example sometimes? There's a man who's got an example that we can look to. We might not understand everything that was said. We, there might be question marks around certain things. But I'll tell you what speaks loudly to me is the character that was formed in that man. So it's all about the purpose of God. It's all about, you know, it really comes out down to our motive and our objective. You know, it's not about us. And, and I, I wanted to say this, it's, it's about being equal. You know, the, some people have their favorite books in the Bible. You know, I, I like the book of Leviticus and all the sacrifices. I don't, I don't think that's a favorite book for too many people. But, but there's other books in the Bible. There's books that are poetic. There's books that are about say, the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Ecclesiastes. The Song of Solomon. They're poetic books. There's books about thou shalt do this, thou. There's prophetic books. But you're to take the whole book. 
You know, if, if, you know, in our makeup, in our, some of us tend to go very legalistic. Others are very loose. But the whole purpose of eating the whole book is that it brings us back into a harmony. It brings us back into the center of the road. Brother Aaron would talk to somebody. He says, you know, I, I got a temper. I got some, he says, sweeten it with prayer. Somebody asked Spurgeon one time. He says, what's more important? Is it more important to pray? Who, I don't know who said this the other day. Is it more important to pray or read your Bible? He says, when you breathe, is it better to breathe in or breathe out? Both are required. <laughs> hey, I, I love the answer. It's good. He said now, he, he would go on and say, Brother Man would tell us, stay with the word, stay with it. But if we are honest and truthful... If we mix it with anything of our, ourself and our agenda and our thought, if we don't lay, I'll tell you what, we need to continually be before the Lord. Check my motive. Check my objective. Oh, I'll just wait. I'll go and tell so-and-so. That's not a time to go tell so-and-so if you're feeling like that. And I'll tell you this, as long as you're accusing somebody in the presence of God, you haven't gone far enough yet. Because when you really come in the presence of God and the fragrance of God comes, there is no more accusations. It is all about, Lord, let you come on the scene. May you take care of this. That's how the church will come together. And he said... You shall beat it very... Okay, so he says, you'll make this perfume not to yourselves. It be holy unto the Lord. And if you even use this for something else, you'll be cut off. You know, if we're honest and truthful, I'll tell you what, it, to be honest with ourselves. You know, it's so easy to point to someone and say, oh, he did. But can we be honest about ourselves? You know what? Sometimes you feel like, oh, I'll go and... You know, I'm better than, and I, no, no. And then God lets you stumble and say, thank you, Lord. We're all children of God. We all need you. We all need grace. Amen. Okay, so this, uh, my, oh, my. Okay, let me, let me just take the last few minutes here. You know, Brother Brandon made a statement in Wisdom versus Faith. And he actually talked about it. And he says, and I, I just was walking, I don't know, the last few days I was walking and I was just listening to this message. And Brother Bram say, with wisdom, there's a motive that the devil used to get into wisdom. And, and he says, he, he even, he says, there was an atmosphere that went with it. And he says, Eve came into that atmosphere. So with wisdom, now you look at the serpent you know, and when, 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 when he's talking with Eve, and he may have come to her thousands of times, but look at the motive and the objective. Back in heaven, it, when, when the motive was for Satan to gather together all of the angels and to gather together all of those, it was for the purpose of them following him. So he would use certain words. He says, I've got an agenda. I'll drop a few words in. I'll, I'll set an atmosphere. Words set an atmosphere. And he did the same thing to Eve, and he says, Eve said, we shall not eat of every tree. And he says, no, or we'll die. He says, you'll not die. And you know, up to that time, it was known as the Lord God. But now Satan drops in, God. He's already diminishing the Lord God to just God in Eve's eyes. 
He's already undermining and he's got an agenda and he's already got something. And the devil works in that realm. That's why our motives need to be pure. We need to die out to ourselves. We need to come before the presence of God and say, Lord, whatever you will, not what I will, not what my flesh man will, not what my man that reasons will, but what you will, Lord. That's the aroma that God's pleased with. You know, it was, Abraham didn't go after Lot just, just to say, you know, I'll show how big I am. You know, Lot didn't, he should never have left. I'll show him. No, Abraham realized Lot's a part of the land that I'm, I, I'm been given. And therefore, I'm going to redeem him. Lot was just a penny. Abraham was maybe a silver dollar. You know, it, I'll tell you what, there's things that, that as the bride we recognize because we're in the presence of God. It was when Rebecca was traveling with Eliezer and they came to a certain place and here she'd been hearing the things she'd been feeding on and she's hearing and she comes to a certain place and she sees a man in the field. Now it wasn't Eliezer pointing and saying, look, look over there, look, look. No, it was Rebecca that noticed because the atmosphere she was in, the character, the way he walked, he said, who is this? Rebecca asked the question because she'd been in that place. The atmosphere we're in leads us to, to the places that God wants us to go to. Abraham was his character that would not take the goods of the king of Sodom. It was his character that gave of himself when he met Melchizedek. Now let's, let's just go back here. I want to pick this up. In Exodus chapter 30, go back with me a little bit uh, into verse 22. This is just regarding the priesthood. Kings and priests, we're still on this a little bit. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take thee also principal spices of pure myrrh, 500 shekels, and I'll come to this in a moment, Sweet cinnamon, half so much, even 250 shekels, and sweet calamus, 250 shekels, and of cassia, 500 shekels, after the shekel of the sanctuary. Let's catch that. And of oil, olive, and hin. And verse 25, and you shall make an oil of holy anointment, ointment, and an ointment compound after the art of apocathery. It shall be a holy anointing oil and you shall anoint the tabernacle, the congregation and the table and the vessels and the candlestick and all of this shall be anointed. Now just catch this for a moment. He's talking here and he says, now you're going to take spices, 500, and he says, pure myrrh, 500 shekels. Now what it was, was there was a shekel of the sanctuary that was the principle, that was the the standard, if I can say, that, that was the shekel of the sanctuary. That could not be tampered with. And I say that because what they would do outside the temple is they would take the image of the shekel, but they would water down the weight of the shekel so that it, it looked like a shekel, but it wasn't really the weight of it. But the shekel of the sanctuary was the standard of the Word of God. That was by which everything was measured by. That's by which we measure our motives, our objectives. The, you know, the Word of God, it's dividing asunder between soul and spirit. So he says, now, you take it so much, no, 
Somebody said, listen, I don't like the way that tastes. It needs more cinnamon. No, you got to take 250 shekels. you got to take it just the way it is. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if we were putting a church body together and we had to pick it ourselves, we wouldn't pick some of the members God picked because we do it by our own measuring rod. But God, by the shekel of the sanctuary, by the attribute of God, he saw fit to make one this way. He saw fit to make one this way. And he put the members together. And we need to say, praise God. He knew exactly what we would need. Are you with me? Oh, my. First service back, you wanted me to do something that would have you swinging here and doing things. But you, you know, you, you got this today. I'm sorry. And he, he would go on to say, you know, I, 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 listen, let me say this. Sometimes we put so much in words. We say, okay, I got to do this, I got to do this. You know, what was the message on? Well, it was about this. And what was that message on? It was about this. But you know what it comes down to? It's a life. The joy of living for the Lord. When you wake up in the morning, I'll tell you what, and to know that you, when, when I was a young man and I was out and I wondered, what did I do last night? Oh, no. I don't want to think about it. I don't have to worry about that anymore. To have peace in the morning and to see the sun streaming now. I'm going to go out and smell the air. There's a fragrance. There's an aroma. Brother Bram talked about the morning. There was something about it. If we could recognize this is part of the life of God. It's, it's, it's why we have joy in living. I'll tell you what, when you see God in little things in your life and little prayers and comes on the scene here and comes on the scene there, oh, the joy of walking with him. The joy of being able to lay down the old man. The joy of putting aside our own thoughts and our ideas. Why? It's our nature. We're sheep. A sheep, a sheep lays everything down. It's sacrificial. It's a lamb. It's got that nature. That's what we want to project. We want to have that. And the higher we go, the more the testing. My, oh, my, oh, my. Brother Bannon would talk about how many battles he had. And he, would, he, would, he actually came to a place here. And he, this is in the Word Made Flesh. It's just such a tremendous message. It's the India Report, Brother Simon. <laughs> it's wonderful. Brother Bannon was talking about how he saw a lady over there. And she was doing something untoward, such and such. And he says how that bothered him. And her name was Mrs. Dowd. Oh, what a disgrace in India. And she's taking offerings from the people and doing this and this. And Brother Bannerman comes to this and he says, Now I need to ask the church one thing. Before we study the scriptures, I need you to pray for me. The prophet? Yeah. I've developed a critical spirit. Listen to this. Before he could take the word, he comes to this place. I've developed a critical spirit, and it haunts me. I told my wife yesterday for the first time, something happened to me. She reminded me, and I told her about it. It says, honey, I've come to the place till I'm critical of the people. And he said, whose job is it? It's not mine. He said, I want to correct everyone. He said, that's not my job. That's God's job. And we get to the place, oh, this isn't right, and that isn't right, and this. No, that's God's job. Our job is to keep a right spirit, to stay clean before God, to stay pure and holy. 
Friends, don't let somebody else and what they're doing stop you from entering into a walk and a relationship with God. He says, oh, she's such a disgrace, this woman. And he says, it haunts me. Listen, how many remember when Brother Branham talked about in Standing in the Gap, he says, I developed a complex, and it's so easy to do. He said, I feel like the people aren't listening to me. And really, maybe it was like the time of Elijah where he said, there's only 7,000, you know, and, and Brother Branham, he had the same nature, disposition of Elijah. I developed a complex. And he says, until I get that cleaned up, I, I'm, I'm just going to lay low. I'm not going to go out in the field. I'm not going to do things. Do you see how important it was for the, the anointing and the atmosphere and that which carried the message to be pure? How much more for us that we can remain pure before God? I, I, I believe we need to be able to understand that this is what God has given us. You know, the Holy Ghost in us. You know, he says, Brother Bram says, apply it with consideration, with love. And, and, and apply it with, 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 with consideration. In other words, enter into the person's feelings. And he says, and then you watch them drop into it. Now, that's not taking the word and saying, Brother Branham said. That's actually allowing what's a part of you to flow out. How, how many believes your life can speak? Your atmosphere. You know, you, I, I don't know if we could sometimes look at it. My, my wife, sometimes she, uh, not very often, I've had a rough week actually. My wife has been in British Columbia, she's on her way back today. I'll tell you what, I actually did, loaded the dishwasher yesterday for the first time. <laughs> I, I, it was full and the sink was full and it just couldn't go anywhere. I had two options, one, go buy paper plates or get rid of the dishes. So I opted to, so through a specially trained video conference call, I loaded the dishwasher and put detergent in. Yeah, don't, don't worry. Listen, <laughs> just stay with me for a moment. I'd come to the place where the laundry was so full and, and either I was going to have to go to Walmart to buy new underwear or wash the other stuff. <laughs> so you appreciate your wives after a while. Okay. Sorry if that got a little carnal, but anyway. Sometimes I don't go out shopping with my wife very often, but you watch her. I watch her in a store sometimes because I play hide-and-go-seek with her, but I... I watch her pushing the cart, and every once in a while you see somebody look. Where did that come from? She didn't repeat a message quote. She didn't do anything. But the life and the way she carries herself speaks volumes. Friends, whatever our duty is, whether our duty is to be a musician, do it cheerfully. Do it in a good way. You know what? I say, we only have one opportunity to serve Christ. This is the time. Do it with all your heart. Do it with all that's in you. Do it with joy. If somebody laughs at you or does whatever, I'll laugh with them. You know, Abraham Lincoln one time, you know, he was, he was driving his chariot and he was coming around the corner and somebody came and, and, and he kind of ra almost ran into it. And the guy started saying, watch where you're driving, you stupid so-and-so. And Lincoln could have said, don't you know him? He, he drove down the road and started laughing. Did you hear that? He called me a stupid so-and-so. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what it's like. I hear you guys talking about my singing. I know what it's like. <laughs> you know what? Enjoy being a Christian. 
Let that fragrance. And if you're not there, it's not a put on. But it's there. It's a part of our service. When you come to church, if you're a tithe payer, do it cheerfully. Say, oh man, I got to give this. Just do it cheerfully. If you're, if you're in, in service as a minister, do it with Love in your heart for the people. Don't do it as a know-it-all. If, if you're a trustee or you're a deacon or whatever you are, do it with the best in you. Not, the mix is for God and for his people. It's not about us. It's about God. It's about his people. That's the approach that we need to have. Friends, the bride is not going to come together because they're going to be perfectly aligned on every aspect of the doctrine. It's going to be a coming together because the life they're living is projecting a love that reaches out to one another. That the blanket stretches a little further. And we get the union mentality, that's my job and I'm doing it. You can be a husband and say, line up. Don't you know what the message means? I'll tell you what, you can also be a husband and say, here, let's gather together. Set an example. Be the example in your home. Understand one another. Understand your wife. Understand your husband. Brother Ed, why are you going down this road? I, I it was just, that's the part that came to me at the, at this morning. How many love the Lord? We're at 12 o'clock. Let's have the musicians come. I think I've shared what I wanted to share for this morning. Brother Bannon would say, when you get alone with God, it changes your motive it changes your appetites. You know, sometimes we, we try to put God in a box and, you know, well, that's God in church and I'm different here. No, God's in everything. He's in every part. He's in everything we do. <coughs> Love governs everything. Let's stand together. There is none like you. There is none like you. Search for all eternity.